0: We'll be streaming live Good afternoon, everyone. Um, we're going to continue in our, in our little series called Living in Digital Babylon. And we're going we're to look at a couple different things today. Uh, one of the things, as we begin to wind down this study and we begin to look at, uh, we've, we've seen a number of things that are out there that are working against us. And as we get close to the end, We'll begin focusing in on things that we can begin to do to battle this thing the way that we're supposed to be battling it. Now, uh, but tonight we, or to, this afternoon we want to look at, uh, Christianity has been called extremist. Uh, I think we've all been told that we were extremists, and, and, uh, we want to understand a little bit about what they say and why they say it. Um, I'm showing a PowerPoint. There's one there's two pictures on this PowerPoint that I want you guys to see. This first one comes up, Five Ways Christianity is increasingly viewed as extremists. Take a look at that picture. That's at a, actually at a, at a rally. Uh, and that's I, I don't remember at Westboro Baptist Church, I think, or somebody. Uh, but that this is the, the the signs that they put out as Christians. At a um, at a rally was a gay rights parade something to that effect and look at what it says God hates fags God is your enemy fags doom nations worship uh, don't worship the all all these things in there Uh, when I look at that I, I it's no wonder that the church that we're called radicals and no wonder that we're called extremists I don't know anybody that believes any of these things that we're looking at on there. But yet, that's what the media certainly wants to portray to us. Now, um, let's talk a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about George Barnum today. Um, Society as a whole... Let me pull this over here. Society is undergoing a change of mind about the way religion and people of faith interact in public life. Um, There are intensifying perceptions that faith is a root... ...of a vast number of societal ills. Um, and we want to pursue that and, 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 and understand where it's coming from. Uh, though it remains the nation's most dominant religion, Christianity faces significant headwinds in the court of public opinion. Um, Decades-old trend that Christianity is irrelevant is increasingly giving way to the notion that Christianity is bad for society. So, one of the things we find out is that not only is the prevailing attitude that Christianity is irrelevant, but that it's now bad for society. Society is toxic because of what we see as, uh, what we experience as believers. Now, there's nothing unusual about society getting against, um, believers. I mean, that's, we've seen that go back to Jesus. That, we know that's gonna happen. But, there's no sense shooting ourselves in the foot and causing more issues that aren't Christ-like. That's what we have to deal with. And we want to talk about a couple of those here. Um, a new major study conducted by the Barna Group, and we're going to talk about them in, in a little bit, and explored in the new book, Good Faith, authored by George Barna's president, uh, David Kenneman, examines societal concepts and perceptions of faith in Christianity. We're going to be talking about that book. We have that book, uh, and it's one of the books that we want to look at. But we want to kind of set the scene a little bit. So not only do we see the bad things that are happening, but we can see the perception that we're looked at. In other words, the way people see us and, and how do we combat that. Now, uh, there's five facts that explain this specific reality. One of them, uh, the first one is adults and especially non-believers are concerned about religious extremism. Well, where did that come from? Um, at, at the time this this uh, uh, study was done, if you if you can remember, in San Bernardino, uh, California, we had a guy went in and killed a bunch of people in in, um, uh, in a McDonald's restaurant. I think it was 21 people were killed, and um, uh, that was concern. And there there was a, a an incident in Paris where I believe that that the gentleman was. Uh, uh, the terrorists took a truck and drove along the sidewalk and killed a bunch of pedestrians and, and so forth. And uh, one was an Islamic terrorist. The other one, um, they, they just associated it as Christian and said that it's religion that's causing this kind of a problem. Um, and there's a backlash against that ex- type of extremism, as well there should be. However, uh, we looked at some of the numbers. A strong majority of adults believe religiously extreme is a threat to society And three-quarters of all Americans and nine out of ten Americans with no faith agree with that statement. Now listen to the statement. Religiously extremism is a threat to society. So religious extremism is a threat to society. Well, we might think that's true, but as it is, whenever we deal with these types of situations, we've got to define... We've got to define what the terms are. Um, this perception is firmly established among the nation's non-Christians. A full 45% of atheist, agnostic, and religiously unaffiliated America agree with the statement that Christianity is extremist. Um, almost as troubling is the fact that only 14% of atheists And agnostics strongly disagree with that statement. So you have roughly 86% of of atheists, agnostics, um, people that are not religiously associated, think that that we're extreme. 86% of people think that we're extreme. Now, um, almost as troubling is the fact that 4 in 10 disagree only somewhat. So even non-Christians who are reluctant to fully label Christianity as extremists, they still harbor some uh, uh, hesitation and negative perceptions towards us as part of religion. Now, um, let's talk about the range of what constitutes extremism is broad, ranging from behaviors that, that are almost universally condemned to narrowly defined extremism. So let's say what actions and beliefs do they believe are extreme? Very interesting group that you're going to hear. Um, researchers examined 20 different activities and beliefs, asking a random representative sample of adults, and we'll talk about how how they come up with some of their definitions in a little bit. Uh, the results, essentially, fall into four categories. Now, those categories, category one, uh, included in those actions widely considered to be extreme by at least four and five adults. So 80% of people believe this is extreme. This involved using religion to justify violence, refusing standard medical care for children, and refusing to serve a customer whose lifestyle conflicts with their beliefs. For the most part, these three elements were viewed at extreme by almost all democratic, demographic Uh, Now, look at those three things. Um, Using religion to justify violence. I would agree. That's extreme. I can't think of a situation where that that isn't extreme. Christianity doesn't call for that. Now, people have used it for that, but that's extreme. Now, but what about the other two? Refusing standard medical care for children and refusing to serve a customer whose lifestyle differs with their belief. Those are two... Items that are open for discussion, and there should be a good discussion about it. A lot of Christians believe in healing. Some don't. And, and so we need to understand a little bit about what the background is and why people are saying what they're saying. Um, category number two, were activities and beliefs marked as extremist by at least half but less than 80% of the public? Eight different factors qualified for this level, ranging from demonstrating outside an organization they consider immoral and protesting government policies that conflict with religious views. So, protesting outside of, probably they're talking about abortion clinics, but it could be other places, protesting outside against something they consider immoral and protesting government policies they consider to be extreme. Really. Really. I think uh, another document I read, uh, I believe it's called the Constitution, might disagree with that. But if you go back to that first picture where God hates fags and all of these other things are being held up there as religious tenets, uh, then they may have some issues here. We've got to deal with that. We're not, we're, maybe some of the people that are trying to present Christianity aren't good representatives. It's just a thought. Um, Many of these factors are related to the claims of faith in public square that religious people might interact on social issues and government policies. If you go back and you remember some of the policies that Germany instituted um, during uh, the 1930s and, and uh, specifically 33, 34, 35, uh, some of the policies that were designed to keep Christians out of the government, get them out of the government. They don't want any Christian influence at all in the government. And we're facing a lot of that today. You're going to hear uh, an incident of that in a little bit. Category 3 includes factors that generated extremist concerns among at least one out of five adults. So 20% of the people thought about this. They are not currently rated as extreme by 50% of adults. So this is kind of an iffy area. This group concern was populated by elements that are more distinctive to religious traditions, such as speaking in tongues, wearing special clothes, or head coverings adhering to special dietary restrictions, uh, Mormons, Catholics, Jews, and so forth. And these things are considered extreme by 20% of the people. Now, Category 4 was only occasionally indicated as extremist, but generated concerns at least 1 out of 16 adults, but fewer than 20% of the people, which makes sense. However, when calculated based on that, these factors included things as reading sacred literature in public, the Bible or the Quran, uh, donating money to attending a religious institution. Again, these are, are are activities that some people view as extreme, and the idea being, reading sacred literature in public. Um, I would have never thought about that, and and uh, when my wife and I were living in Tulsa, Oklahoma way before the Internet, back in the, in the early 80s. Late, uh, early 80s is actually when we started. Um, uh, a lot of times I would go to the, to, to the mall or whatever and sit in the food court and read and study and have my Bible out. Now, you don't, wouldn't expect too much issues from that in, in uh, Tulsa, but I don't know. I haven't been in Tulsa for a while, but I'm sure there, people are upset about all that stuff now. And there's quite a bit of hassle about what can you have a cross on your desk at work? Can you have your Bible sitting on your desk at work and so forth? Um, These are elements that are now becoming uh, identified as extreme. Um, Evangelicals stand out from the norm in terms of their attitudes on religious extremism and they exhibit many major differences from the skeptics. Talk about it a second. Let's talk about the definition. We'll talk about the definition of evangelical and born-again that that he uses. Um, There's a specific definition, and I think when you understand what it is he talks about, we'll go over some statistics in just a few moments. Um, The research points out a massive gap between two what he calls super segments in American life today, evangelicals and skeptics those who self-identify as atheist, agnostic, or religiously unaffiliated. Those are called skeptics. Okay. Now, evangelicals stand out from the norm in terms of their attitudes on religious extremism and they exhibit major differences from the skeptics. Now, remember, the skeptics are those that are atheist, agnostic, and religiously unaffiliated, okay, on virtually all. All the extremist factors assessed in the research, evangelicals and skeptics maintain widely divergent views. Well, I would expect someone that's a born-again evangelical to to have different views from an atheist or an agnostic. I would would believe that. For example, only 1% of evangelicals believe it's religiously extreme for a person to teach his or her children that same-sex relationships are morally wrong. Only 1% of evangelicals believe that it's wrong to teach that. However, three-quarters of the skeptics at 75% believe this is extreme. So you can see immediately where we're going. Um, We've got some fundamental worldview differences, and that's what we're trying to talk about here. We've got different worldview from a a religious perspective and non-religious perspective, and it's going to cause some problems. You'll see some other numbers in here in a little bit. Attempting to convert others generates a perception gap of 10% to 83%. In other words, 10% of evangelicals don't think you should try to convert someone. 83% of skeptics believe that it's wrong to try to convert someone. We'll, We'll highlight that in just a second what does this research mean what, what does all of this research for these things mean uh, David Kinneman, uh, in fact uh, let me let me pull up a couple of David Kinneman who's the president of the Barner research group now um, comments in fact I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this up because my bifocals aren't bifocaling today these uh, Gaps between these two skeptics and the evangelicals show the challenges practicing Christians and especially evangelicals are facing. In a religiously plural and divisive society, various, quote, tribes ranging from faithful to skeptics are vying to decide how faith should work. The most contentious issues are the ways in which religious conviction gets expressed publicly. But the findings illustrate that a wide range of actions, even beliefs, are now viewed as extreme by a large chunk of the population. Now, uh, the research starkly demonstrates the ways in which evangelicals and many practicing Catholics are out of the cultural mainstream. In fact, skeptics and religiously unaffiliated are now much closer to the cultural norm than our religious conservatives. In other words, the secular point of view, which says faith should be kept out of the public domain, is much closer now to the mainstream U.S. thinking. Now, um, this is something we're going to have to deal with. Uh, and, and as I was teaching uh, uh, a later session or er, an earlier session last night in a different class. Um, We've got some issues, and and I think it can be best described. Take the homosexual genie. That genie's not going back in the bottle. Um, uh, Abortion genie, you know, that genie's not going back in the bottle. We're not going to win those culture wars. We need to to try to adjust our thinking to a society where those kind of things are no longer um, uh, uh, objective to most people. We have to deal with society that we're placed in. And that's two of the things that came up. This fact explains why many millions of devout Christians are experiencing frustration and concern. They're feeling out of step with social norms and the cultural momentum that is significantly felt when it comes to social views, such as evangelicals, convictions, on same-sex relationships. Okay, listen to this again. Um, The cultural momentum, this is significantly felt when it comes to social views, such as evangelicals, Convictions on same-sex relationships. However, the perception of social extremism applies to many other beliefs and practices. We're going to learn about that as we we'll, we'll study the book Good Faith. We'll we'll bring some of the things in. But I want to I want to I want to read to you now, and I want to pull up another picture. Just a second, if you could switch that over. I'll talk to my administrative assistant here. The uh, look at the people in this picture. Okay. Uh, can you see the, can, can you see here that they're not real happy about what's going on And uh, the torches you know that that's what they would like to do to many of the things we're talking about. I, I like the, the the guy in the front right in the middle, right above Rick Bonfim's uh, name as I'm looking at the at the screen there uh, right above the R and Rick's name that guy's angry. and if you begin to look back you see all of these people are angry. Well what are they angry about? Well they're angry about, what they believe are the standards that we're trying to push on society. Now, um, I'm going to read to you um, an event that happened not too long ago. um, And I'll just read the, the, the story. The names are changed to protect the innocent. While those who oppose biblical standards claim to promote tolerance, they continually attack those who hold the values they disagree with. Christians are a favorite target of their hatred. Look at one disgraceful attack on a pastor. Uh, Our enemy caters to those who oppose Christianity while routinely routinely attacking Christians. Now listen to this. And they proved that at the start of a recent legislative session. State delegate Michael Webert invited speaker, Reverend, Reverend Dr. Robert M. Grant, Jr., to start the session with a prayer where he urged legislators to stand up for the unborn and traditional family. So here's his prayer. I pray that we do not provoke God's anger by making laws that can destroy the fabric of this great state and our wonderful country. God is love. God is merciful. God is holy. God is also judgment. Please do not provoke His anger and bring, bring wrath upon this state by what you create as law. Biblical history is very clear. His wrath upon the earth is well documented. We are not exempt. We are not exempt. If he does not grant us mercy for the atrocities that are being done, we will eventually encounter the judgment of Almighty God, and may the Lord have mercy upon us all. Many in the legislature assembly got clearly uncomfortable at this point, but quickly became angry on the next line in his prayer. I pray that you will understand that all life is precious, and worthy of a chance to be born. God is a giver of life, and people have no right or authority to take life. He continues. He also touched on traditional family values, praying that the bills and laws being passed will always protect the biblical traditional marriage as God instructed the first man and the first woman in the Bible that the two shall become one flesh. It was with this line that many in the chamber began shouting, and walking out. The speaker of the house quickly hit her gavel, immediately cutting him off with the Pledge of Allegiance shortly thereafter. So the enemy loses their mind over a Christian pastor pastor speaking about actual Christian values, yet they are fine with allowing Islamic prayers in the same situation. Tolerance doesn't apply to Christians who believe in traditional family and oppose the practice of abortion. We could see that. That's not hard to understand that. But one of the things that, that has always been on my mind, we've got to define our terms, and so I'm going to read to you briefly where, where the terms come from. you are talking about two terms here. Uh, born again, if you're born again, or if you're evangelical. Um, there are two, two gaps between these two groups. For instance, those who are self-described evangelicals are much less likely to say they're conservative on political matters. They are also considerably more likely to be registered to vote Democrat uh, as compared to just 26 for the others. Uh, now, an evangelical, what defines an evangelical? Uh, what defines this? Well, his research, he doesn't go out and ask people. That. The media, when they talk about evangelicals, What the media does is they go ask people, are you born again? People say, yeah. Well, that doesn't answer the question. That just says what this guy thinks born again means. Now, but here's how Barna defines these two terms. Born again people, born again Christians, are defined as people who said they have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that is still important in their life today. Number two, they indicated... They believe that when they die, they will go to heaven because they have confessed their sins and accepted Christ as their Savior. Respondents are not asked to describe themselves as born again. So, if they've made a commitment to Jesus that's still important, and they realize that if they die, they're going to heaven simply because of that commitment they've made to Jesus, then they're considered born again. Now... An evangelical, we add seven other uh, uh, characteristics to that. And here's, their, here's how he defines that, again, by asking questions. He doesn't assume anything. And he, they don't ask people if you're evangelical. He says uh, the, the, their faith of an evangelical, his faith is very important in his life today. Um, number two, believing that they have a personal relationship with Christ and they have a responsibility to share their belief with non-Christians. Number 3. Evangelicals believe that Satan exists. Number 4. They believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth. Number 5. Believing eternal salvation is possible only through grace, not works. Okay? Number six, asserting that the Bible is accurate in all that it teaches. And number seven, describing God as the all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect deity who created the universe and still rules it today. In the questions that he's asking people, uh, and in this particular survey, uh, he went out and found, uh, they, they interviewed 4,114 people. i got to find the, the right numbers on here. 4,114 people, of which just 300, a little over 300, were considered born-again evangelicals. Now, um, the most difference between those who self-describe themselves as, evangel- as evangelicals and those who actually are, here's some of the differences in there. The most striking differences between these two groups, those who self-describe themselves as born-again evangel- evangelicals and those who actually are, are this. Um, 60% uh, self-described evangelicals, 60% are less likely to believe that Satan is real. 53% are less likely to believe that salvation is based on grace, not works. 46% are less likely to say they have personal relationship and a responsibility to tr- share their beliefs with others. 42% are less likely to list their faith in God as a top priority in their life. 38% are less likely to believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth. And 27% are less likely to contend that the Bible is totally accurate in all its teachings. 23% are less likely to say life has been transformed by their faith. So, as you can see, uh, self-described evangelicals are missing biblical points. Um, I, I, it stuns me. And, I mean, I even if I'm just asking the question... Um, that Satan is not real, and that salvation is based on works. Um, there's no there's no possible reading of the New Testament that you could get that. But that's what they come up with. So this is why we're having such problems. And this is why when you, when you hear the media uh, speaking about people abandoning the church, it's not the real believers that are abandoning the church. It's the people that don't really have any connection to what God's Word says and the church as a whole. Now um, I share these things with you simply because uh, as we as we move on and we begin to finish, um, we begin to see scriptures that have a dramatic impact on how life, on how we should uh, deal with some of these issues. We could go on for a long long time and look at issues and spend a lot of time, finding things wrong with everything. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to set the, set the, set the stage and have as a, as a foundation to understand what's going wrong, what are we doing wrong, and what do we need to do right. And I want to share with you um, from Psalm, Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 34. It's a great point to get us going in the right direction. How do we do this? You remember Psalm 11.3 said, What do the the righteous do when the foundations are destroyed? When the foundations are destroyed, what do the righteous do? Let's look at Psalm 37.34 as a start. Wait for the Lord and keep His way. And He will exalt you to inherit the land. And when the wicked are eliminated, you will see it. Now, that's from the New American Standard. I, I can't recommend enough that you read it in the New Living Translation or the uh, Passion Translation. Um, we need to wait for the Lord. And, you know, His Word was valid in our, in our um, alcoholic and drug rehab uh, classes that we teach at Fresh Wind at Ministry. One of the things that we come up with, we talk to the guys, you know, do you believe John 3.16, and they can quote it, yes, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and so forth and so on. Do you believe that? Yes, we believe well, Why do you believe it? Well, Jesus said it. Well, you know, Scriptures say Jesus said a lot of other things, and they're just as true as that. We need to believe them and walk in them just as well. If we have faith, Hebrews 13.8 tells us Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and for, forever. We can count on Him. He's not going to change. He's not going to cut and run. So if we can count on Him there, then we need to go back and look at the Scriptures and say, when He says something like this, instead of getting all bent out of shape, we can trust Him and rely on Him to do exactly what He said He would do. Um, I would also encourage you to read Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Read that from the New Living Translation. Um, so uh, today just kind of gives you a little... Uh, uh, overview of, of the, the societal changes that we need to make. I'm going to pray, and the next time we get into we'll begin moving in the direction of what the Scriptures tell us to do to begin to deal with these things. Father, we thank You for this time. We ask You to bless it. We ask You to anoint this time, Father, and help us to hear You clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next time. Three. Brilha a luz que anda no do meu peve Será a ofrume em mim Brilha a luz que anda